けましておめでとうございます。Or in English, Happy New Year! Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that helps white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism. We're your biracial Japanese and white hosts, Sarah and me, Sasha. As we kick off our theme today of the need for critical thinking in 2022, and in the spirit of starting off the new year fresh, we want to take a moment here to reintroduce ourselves so you can listen to what we say while knowing where we're coming from as people. So I'm Sarah. With a Japanese immigrant mom and a white dad who grew up in the greater New York area. I'm married to a white Canadian man, and I have two white presenting girls who are kind of, oh my gosh, they're like middle schoolers now. <laughs> and we live in Denver, Colorado. I am trained to be a life coach, and I love using positive psychology in my work and in my life. The kids really have grown up with knowing how much mommy quotes studies all the time. And so, on top of all that, mostly I'm really grateful to be doing this work with my best friend of 25 years, Misasha. When I'm Misasha with a Japanese immigrant father and a white mother, I grew up in Los Angeles and I'm married to a black man and have two very multiracial boys who are black, Japanese, and white, if you're keeping track. And those two boys are in elementary school. We live in the Bay Area of California. And this next part like shocked me as I was like writing these notes. So, you know, I'm a litigator with close to 20 years of experience. And that's the part that shocked me because I was like, we're so、um, young. We're young. What、right? happened? <laughs> no, right. But also have experience doing DEI work in law firms. And I love using all the critical thinking skills that I used in that life for so long, along with my. Undying deep love of history to be able to have these types of conversations that we have every week here. And I just feel so fortunate to be able to do this, you know, every week or about 15 times a day via text, if I'm being honest, with my very best friend and sister, Sarah. Aww. And so, for full disclosure, we're recording this right before the new year so that you will all have this episode right when, fingers crossed, schools and companies reopen. After yet another tough holiday season filled with Omicron news, but also one in which we were able to see friends and family in a way that we really weren't able to last year. So it's been a mixed bag of emotions so far. And isn't that really just a fair description of basically these past two years? And before I go any further, Akemashite omedito gozaimasu, by the way. Akeome! <laughs> And as far as seeing family goes, I know that's been a really big thing for you, Sarah. So, how have the holidays been for you thus far? They've been really, really great and grounding. You know, I realized having taken so much time off due to COVID from seeing my family, you know, my brothers and I made a promise a long time ago after a number of serious diagnoses in the house that we were going to make the choice to opt in to our. Relationship as adult siblings and as uncles and aunties to the kids of the next generation in a way that our parents weren't. And so to be able to see them again, to be able to see the older generation again in a way now that everyone's vaccinated, that we feel like we're not going to get the parental units sick and be responsible for anything. It's just been really grounding for me and I think is kicking off this desire to remember. To reinvest in my community in a really real way. How about you? Ooh, I love what you said, by the way. It's been really quiet, which has been really nice. We didn't see family because of Omicron and life, but it's been nice to be in our own sort of nuclear family. 
before we were recording this, I was just telling you, Sarah, about this epic game of Scrabble that my kids were playing. And, you know, my like real love is reading too. So I'm so excited that I've been able to have so much time to read. And I'm like watching your faces. I'm saying this because I, I feel you shaking. Dude, this woman <laughs> reads faster than any human. Like she looks at a page and absorbs it through her eyeballs into her brain. So for you to say you're getting to read more, she, recently, you made a LinkedIn post, I believe, that said you went every week with your dad growing up to the library and got 10 books at one library, 10 books at the next library. That's 20 books a freaking week, dude. I just calculated. I've read 53 books this year. In 2021, I read 53 books. I was really proud. I don't even want to know how many books you read. I had a feeling you were going to bring up that LinkedIn post. <laughs> and I wrote that part in there about the eye roll specifically for you, by the way. So, <laughs> Noted. But, you know, one of the things that I really love reading, however, and if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know what I'm about to say next. But what I really love reading is the letters from an American email that Heather Cox Richardson sends out almost daily. And so on December 22nd, I opened her daily email to read a story that I think encapsulates so much of what 2021 showed us and what 2022 promises to be about as well. It was about the economy. And before everyone starts to like fast forward now, right? <laughs> I feel you. But it wasn't just about the economy. And before we get into this, take a moment to think about this question first. How do you think the US economy is doing? And then once you've thought about that, I have a second question for you. Why do you think that? So as Heather Cox Richardson points out, Year-end accounts of the U.S. economy, and this is from that December 22nd email, are very strong indeed. According to both Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal, two reputable news sources, the U.S. economic output has jumped more than 7% in the last three months of 2021. Overall growth for 2021 should be about 6%, and economists predict growth of around 4% in 2022, which are the highest numbers the U.S. has seen in decades. So for comparative purposes, China's growth in the same period will be about 4%, and the Eurozone, which is made up of the member countries of the European Union that use the Euro, will grow at 2%. So in other words, the US is, quote, outperforming the world by the biggest margin in the 21st century. And that's according to Matthew A. Winkler in Bloomberg. And he goes on to say, and with good reason, America's economy, and wait for it, improved more in Joe Biden's first 12 months than any president during the past 50 years. I'm seriously anticipating some gasps in the crowd here. Like, really? Is that true? Because that's what I thought. I was like, no way. Right? Because of, well, we'll talk about why. But the Biden administration has created 4.1 million jobs and that's more than were created in the 12 years of the Trump and George W. Bush administrations combined. Wages in America are growing at about 4% a year, compared with less than 1% a year in the Eurozone. As workers' shortages and strikes are pushing wages up and as states are increasing minimum wages. You might remember the American Rescue Plan, and that was passed by Democrats in March without a single Republican vote. And that cut child poverty in half by putting $66 billion into 36 million households. 
More than 4.6 million Americans who were not previously insured have gotten health care coverage through the Affordable Care Act, which brings the total covered to a record 13.6 million. When Biden took office, and let's go back to January of last year, about 46 percent of this country's schools were open. Currently, that rate is 99%. And currently, as we're recording, we don't necessarily know what's going to happen the day this episode comes out. In November, Congress passed a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that will repair bridges and roads and get broadband to places that still don't have it. Support for consumers has bolstered U.S. companies, which are showing profit margins, are you ready for this, higher than they have been since 1950 at 15%. And also, companies have reduced their debt, which has translated to a really strong stock market. All incredible statistics. But then going back to that email that you cited, she got to the central question. Like all the numbers you said, the American economy is the strongest that it's been in decades with the U.S. leading the world in economic growth. So why on earth do 54% of Americans disapprove of Biden's handling of the economy? And that's according to a CNN SSRS poll released on December 21st. Think about that. So that disapproval comes partly from inflation, which, you know, in November was at 6.8%, the highest in 39 years. But inflation is high around the world as we adjust to a post-pandemic reopening. Gas prices, which created an outcry a few weeks ago, have come down significantly. And those supply chain disruptions that all the respondents complained about, In fact, the much-hyped fear that supply chain crunches would keep packages from being delivered on time for the holidays has proven to be misguided. 99% of packages are arriving on time. And I know, I know, we all have that one thing that didn't show up. But let's think about this on a scale of things that are going on in this country. It is a significant improvement over 2020 and even over 2019. It reflects that companies have built more warehouse spaces, they've expanded delivery hours, that people have shopped early this year, and that buyers are actually venturing back into stores rather than relying on online shopping. All of those things show that this is the exact opposite of a weaker retail market. Major ports in the U.S. will process almost one-fifth more containers in terms of volume than they did in 2019. In contrast, container traffic at European ports has stayed flat or declined. You may have noticed this, but consumer goods are flying off the shelves at a rate of about 45% higher than they did in 2018. And Americans spent 10.7% more this holiday season than they did pre-pandemic, according to the AP on December 26th. And indeed, according to Tom Fairless in the Wall Street Journal, American consumer demand was the key factor in the global supply chain bottlenecks in the first place. Okay, so given all of that, right, when we think about whether the economy is doing better or worse, this should really be an easy answer when we just look at the facts and the numbers, right? And I think you all know that these are things I love, facts and science. Like I just want to, you know, or numbers, I just want to give them a hug and hold them close. (laughs) You know, I just, I feel like they've been really challenged. Like I thought these were things that we could hold on to. We could collectively agree to hold on to, I should say. But anyway, okay, I digress. But yet 63% of the polls respondents to that same CNN SSRS poll that you were talking about, Sarah, said that the nation's economy is in poor shape. And here's why. 57% of them say that the economic news they've heard lately has been mostly bad. Only 19% say they are hearing mostly good news about the economy. 
Now, hearing all of that, let's go back to those questions that I asked at the start. What do you believe to be true about the economy and why? Because as we're just unpacking here, how people think about the country depends on the stories they hear about it. And obviously, this isn't just true or isolated to stories about the economy. This is true when we think about the big lie or the January 6th insurrection, the anniversary of which is coming up this week, or COVID vaccines or racism or basically any topic that you've read about or heard about or discussed that's been in the news lately. So Sarah, to me, this sounds a little bit like a psych question here of sorts. So do you have anything, any thoughts in that that realm that can help us understand this here? I can do my best. (laughs) I think first of all, you know, it's important to remember that we as humans really have a strong instinct to survive. And to do that, we have a negativity bias, which is basically our tendency to focus on and remember bad news, ostensibly so we can react if we need to avoid danger. And so people, like you indicated, they may be more inclined to remember that maybe the economy wasn't doing so well before or those headlines about supply chain issues from a while ago. But those memories aren't necessarily the current truth. And I also want everyone to know that there have been enough studies out there I mean, Sasha, you and I have talked about this sort of viscerally in our own personal lives, but the data shows that consumption of a lot of negative news leaves people feeling a lot more anxious and sad, not just about the news coverage, but about their own personal worries as well. So there's not really a healthy knock-on effect from taking on all of this news cycle, especially after the year and a half of uncertainty that we've been facing. You know, for example, they even did a study after 9-11, the terrorist attacks in New York City, both right after and then years later. And they found that people who had a lot of TV exposure at the time of the attacks, they followed everything that was happening. It led to post-traumatic stress symptoms like two and three years later, not just for people in New York, people watching this on TV and other sides of the country. That's severe impact from taking on the media. And so in terms of practical tips for your own mental wellness, I really want to share and emphasize that it's okay for you to choose to maybe say, check the real news reading full articles, not just the headlines, because those are really dramatized to get your attention and to check it maybe once a day later in the afternoon, not in the morning. And those are healthier ways of coping with that while sort of staying informed as opposed to getting sucked into doom scrolling without even thinking about it, right? Where you're just getting these hits all day long. And so for the purposes of this conversation that I'll circle back, I mean, it's also important for us to know about our biases and its impact when we think about which news sources we're choosing to consume. Because psychologically speaking, we're, you know, as humans, we've tended to think that we're influenced by a number of things when it comes to media bias. One is this idea that humans have motivated reasoning, right? Like we're motivated to believe whatever confirms our opinions. I'm sure anybody who went to school and wrote papers, it's like, do the research first and then write your thesis. Don't try to find the data that proves your thoughts because otherwise you're getting stuck into this idea of motivated reasoning. Another tendency for humans is this idea of naive realism, which is our tendency to believe that, you know, our perception of reality is the only accurate view and that people who disagree with us are either uninformed or irrational or biased. I mean, how much have you seen that play out in your thoughts when it comes to people on the left side or right side of politics? You know, basically we're forgetting that we are one of 7 billion people And we think that we are most informed, our beliefs are true, and that we are real and everyone else is not. 
oh, by the way, on that naive realism, when people are told that, they're actually likely to then step out and be more critical and observant and realize that they can check themselves on that. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So tell people, like we have this idea in our psychology that we might be falling into. The third thing is tribe mentality, right? This idea of social pressure, social norms, where, for example, moral or political issues, like when we say things are right or they're wrong, people judge them as preferences, not facts. And so they follow social pressure and consensus. So if you remember like long time ago, child labor, or actually right now, people would say child labor, no way, that's not okay. But back in the day, farm labor, industrial days, when it was necessary, people said, well, of course, child labor is okay to use, right? Norms change. And so our perception of what is right and wrong changes over time based on our societal pressure. So with all that said, and knowing what shapes our opinions and our beliefs, think about your own beliefs, right? Take a moment right now to reflect. So you're aware of what information you might be scanning to confirm your opinions, for example. Then think about who are your people who are influencing you both in your real life. And then also when it comes to where you're getting your information online and on the news, what are their norms? What are your people's norms? What is the bias of the media that you're consuming? And we'll actually be posting a news bias chart from all sides on Instagram and Twitter when we release this episode. So you can really cross-check, you know, what are the sources you're getting your information from and what perspective might they be coming from? And so on top of that, do your influences encourage you to think from multiple perspectives. Because more recently, some researchers have been uncovering that when it comes to falling for fake news or having distorted visions of reality, you know, not knowing that the economy, not believing the economy is doing well, one major thing that distinguishes people is our ability to think critically, which Misasha is something you mentioned really early on. There was a researcher named Rand who says that in his study of over 3000 Americans, people who believe false things are the people that just don't think carefully. And that those people with skills that are required to identify fake news, which is namely the ability to reflect before responding, like actually slowing down, which is necessary in order to think, rather than going immediately with your gut intuition, as a lot of us do a lot of the time, that ability and that practice really makes a difference when it came to distinguishing fake headlines from real news headlines, for example. So when you expand that idea of slowing down, reading past the headlines, thinking about where you're getting this information from and realizing that there's more than one perspective on this, we can start to engage our critical thinking skills. And I think that's really important for us to all realize is something we need to practice and make a choice to do in our daily lives. I love that because as you just reinforced there, as humans, we know that we are inclined to believe what we hear or what we read, or if we exist in news vacuums or just watch one news station, or just read one newspaper or follow one blogger. That will be how we make decisions, or that will be sort of the basis for our decisions that could be much bigger in the end and have a much bigger impact in our lives and the lives of others than that one issue alone. But I think it's important to remember as we discussed in another episode recently, what we're being told, and Sarah, a lot of what you were saying as well, but that's not necessarily the full story or even the true story. So it's really important to keep challenging what doesn't make sense, because sometimes you might get a lot more clarity that way, or you may realize that the person who's telling you that story may not even believe it themselves. For example, we've been hearing some slips of the tongue recently when it comes to who actually won the election from the big lie side, for example. Listen carefully and do that research that we were talking about. Don't just read the headlines. 
read the full story. It reminds me of this post I saw recently on Twitter from Dr. Kendi, who was retweeting a post from Frank Swain, who's at Science Punk, and it went like this. Study three years for a degree. Study three more for PhD. Join lab, start working. Spend years studying problem. Form hypothesis, gather evidence. Test hypothesis, form conclusions. Report findings, clear peer review. Findings published, reported to press. Guy on internet, BS. If that sounds as ridiculous to you all as it does to us, good. But it's also a nice reminder that there are no shortcuts to the truth and how we think about it. So keep asking those questions, friends. You've been listening to the Dear White Women podcast and are the reason we are among the top one and a half percent of podcasts in the world. You rock. Did you love this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify to leave a rating and review. And it may seem like a pain, but it really helps. And make sure you're following us so you keep getting the newest episodes each Tuesday. Don't forget for all your non-podcast listener friends to tell them about our new book, Dear White Women, Let's Get Uncomfortable Talking About Racism, which you can buy anywhere you buy books, including Amazon, where we would love your reviews. We're on Instagram and Twitter and are upping the game on our emails. And if you love us, send us an email at hello at dearwhitewomen.com to bring us into your company for a webinar or a workshop.